And if you're inside, I'm just suggesting. They're going to do what they want to do anyway. I'm under no delusions. Thank you, Sean. Welcome to PON. Welcome to New Freedom. Uh, we open every session of PON with a prayer, and Wayne has agreed to do that. Hello, hello, hello. Everybody stand to your feet. <laughs> All right, everybody. Let's invite the Spirit in. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight with a, uh, a humble heart and an open heart. We invite you in. Speak to us through through Joe tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Wayne. Anyone here for the first time tonight? Uh, very good. So first of all, welcome. And second, let us warn you in advance, Lab will experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. The primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for lots of years around the Phoenix area. We take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book, and we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. So what we try and do here is show you how to find your experience in the book. And I'll do that by showing you how I find my experience in the book and encouraging you to have yours. Fair enough? Yes. If we both do our job, we'll share a spiritual experience in here tonight. How many of you have been here before and can witness for folks that happen? Very good. So, those of you online, they're raising their hands. The anonymous nature of our fellowship, we're not showing you that. But for those of you that are in the room and they raise their hand and you don't know what we're talking about, in 12-step recovery, when we speak of a spiritual experience, we're talking about a sensory experience. You'll feel it. And when you do, I'll know and I'll call it to your attention. Because I would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration. Oh, and if you're new here, we got a thing. When I say God, they say power, because we don't want anyone's prejudice about certain theological terms to block them from accessing this power of inspiration that recreates the life through them, for them. Yes? So tonight we're going to be looking at steps five, six, and seven. Does that sound right? And it's a little chapter called Into Action. Everything in this book is intentional. They mean the words they say. They say the words they mean. They talked to us about the very first step of action last week and how it works. The very first step of action was what? Yeah, a fourth step, a searching and fearless moral inventory of me, yeah? And then from there, we've got some other stuff to get running into. Fair enough? Okay, so it says on page 72, if you're following along, Having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? So, how many of you have made a four-step inventory? And how many of you already knew what you were going to do about it or had someone instructing you on what you might do about it? Okay. So typically, we have someone showing us what they did about it and kind of help us process it, yeah? Okay. 
says, we've been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator and to discover the obstacles in our path. Is that what you've been trying to do? I think some people don't know that's what we're trying to do when they start, maybe. But why would I, if I started out atheist or agnostic, why would I want a new relationship with a creator I didn't believe in? So there's no, yeah, there's no wrong answer. What the authors are witnessing is that my relationship to creation is my relationship to creator, based on their witness. So if I'm not having such a great time in creation, might want to check in with creator regardless of my belief. Does that make sense? Because we're in the process of coming to believe, which means wherever I started is not where I end, hopefully, yes? Okay. And then it says we've admitted certain defects and we've ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We've put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory. Those of you who have done an inventory, is that true? Have you ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is? And what is the trouble in a rough way? I know people say you, me, whatever. Just, just to try and stay... Correct. The problem isn't with you, but the problem is with the way you think. You're not your thoughts. If no one's told you that, we'll liberate you right now. You are not your thoughts. You're the experiencer of your thoughts. So if your thoughts aren't serving you, you may want to disconnect from that experience. Does that make sense? Okay. So it may be our thoughts in a rough way that have been creating some of my difficulty, yes? So then it says, now these are about to be cast out. Notice how it doesn't imply I am the one doing the casting. Do you think we're talking magic? It does seem a little weird because I do have a part to play, but not in the casting out. Do I have your interest? Is that? Tell me more. This requires action on our part, which when completed will mean that we've admitted to God. Oh, this side's just right on it. What happened over here? We've admitted to God. To ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our defects. When did they start talking about the nature of our defects? We started looking at our fears. We looked at our resentments. Fear. We looked at our relationship difficulties, yes? yes? Okay. And then it says, this brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. So the first step of action was a four. The second step of action is obviously a five. This is perhaps difficult. How many of you contemplating having to tell every gnarly thing about yourself found that idea difficult? How many of you, having gone through it, realized that you got past the idea and in doing so you got free of some burdens? Relieve me of the bondage of self, right? Okay, especially discussing our defects with another person. 
we think we've done well enough in admitting these things to ourselves. How many of you have had that experience? Remember, we're starting the beginnings of a manner of living. This isn't a one and done. I'm, I'm going to have to start learning to own who I am on the fly so I don't carry things forward because that causes destruction later, yes? So goes on to tell us there's doubt about that in actual practice. We usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. So who's the we in that sentence? The first 100. They're just giving you their testimony. If you want to get what they had, if you want what we have, and you're willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready. And so they're telling you in this discovery now in the manner of living that they've thought a solitary self-appraisal was enough and discovered it was not. Okay. So many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We'll be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do so. Is that true for you? I might be willing to do it if you can make sense of why I should do it. Because this is uncomfortable. Yes? So it says the best reason first. Well, they're going to go right to it, aren't they? You got to go right to it for meth addicts. They got no patience. If we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. So how many of you came here to overcome an addiction of some sort? And how many of you here just rested? How many of you have come just to rest? So you're just resting? We're glad you're here, man. We're glad you're here. If we can't get you free, then it's all for naught, right? I know. I know that's how you got here. You convinced us you already were free. I understand that. We got a contract with him. Didn't believe that. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. Anybody ever do that? <laughs> Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they've turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. How many of you have done everything you thought you needed to do and then found yourself back in some of the same messes you've been in before? Did anyone ever explain to you that this is a manner of living and therefore there isn't a rest of the program? When I made my decision, having had my encounter with power, I agreed if you'll restore me from this condition, I'll use this voice, this breath, to advocate for my brothers and sisters for the rest of my life. And he's keeping his word, so if I've still got breath, I should be advocating for one of you or multitudes of you. So if we stop doing that, if we stop sticking our hand out, if we start getting judgmental, then the insanity returns. Does it make sense? Yeah. So if no one ever explained to you, there's no rest of the program. We gotta, we gotta help people. All right, so it says, we think the reason is they never completed their house cleaning. Did you understand that a vital part of completing my house cleaning is converting what I thought was a wasted life into a useful experience for another. Yes. 
So if I don't take the worst experiences of my life and convert them into purpose by lifting another man or woman out of their difficult situation, my house cleaning is not complete. Does it make sense? It's not a rule. It's just kind of logical. I mean, I was spared through it. I'm armed with the facts about myself. I know who I am and whose I am, and I've agreed to advocate for anyone else. If I recognize their condition as one that's survivable through the power I have found, I am obligated to tell them I can't do it, but the power in me can, and he sent me to you. If you'd like to walk with me, I'll show you the way. So he says they took inventory all right, but hung on to some of the worst items in stock. Some of that stuff we just don't want to share, isn't it? Sometimes we want to cling to some parts of our old identity, huh? You ever tried to keep one foot in one world and another? And gets confusing, doesn't it? So, so it says they only thought they had lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves. The thought's in italics, so they wanted us to think about that word thought. Where's the main problem, sinner? In the mind. Have you ever thought yourself humble? The very idea that I can think myself humble lacks humility. (laughs) Correct? So you're not going to be able to think your way into a state of being. You're going to have to act. Does that make sense? All right, so it says, but they had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. All's in italics. Why'd they say that? Again, it's a manner of living. I may not even know all my story until you disclose to me what's going on and all of a sudden I start to realize the purpose and what I've been through and I haven't lived out some portion of my story from the time I had my encounter. How many of you have been at this a while? You've been at it a few decades and you're still telling, you're still working your way to all, aren't you? (laughs) More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He's very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. Now they're talking to us about the sensory experience all humans have had, the storm, the war within. I want to behave one way, or I want to be thought of one way, but I know down here I'm not worthy to be thought of that way. Any of you ever lived in guilt, shame, and remorse? Took that on as your identity instead of your real identity? And when that happens, we get in conflict. Yes? And it's sensory, isn't it? Okay. The inconsistencies made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Any of you ever had sprees? Coming to his senses, he's revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. Any of you got vague remembrances? <laughs> Not that you can remember, is that what you said? Any of you sort of have a vague idea that things didn't go well, but you're hoping they didn't go as bad as you thought? <laughs> These memories are a nightmare. 
He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they'll never see the light of day. He's under constant fear and tension, and this makes for more drinking. So remember the doctor opined about alcoholics he was treating, that they're restless, irritable, and discontent unless they can find ease and comfort. Ease and comfort that comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which he sees others taking with impunity. So what my human condition with an alcoholic condition attached to it, I'm going to be restless, irritable, and discontented at all times unless I find ease and comfort from another source. Where'd they tell me I was to get mine from? Deep down inside. In the last analysis, it's only there that he may be found. It's a handy little trick to know for us addicts of the hopeless variety that we are to find our ease and comfort in the world without going out in the world to get it from within. Make sense? So then it says psychologists are inclined to agree with us. How many of you have seen psychiatric professionals? I should see a lot more hands in this crowd. You what? <laughs> if you got to any of the gated communities within the state of Arizona, <laughs> I can assure you you've met one or two psychiatric professionals, even if you weren't on a first name basis. It's like part of the process. Um, so we know but few instances where we've given these doctors a fair break. So I got to ask you, did you go to the doctor sometimes and tell them a little story to get something you wanted from them? Yeah. Or did you go lie to them about what was going on with you in hopes that they would give you a little? So what the authors say is we've seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice. This is why we suggest in 12-step recovery you share your experience, because opinions to the likes of us have very little value. How do I know that? I paid thousands of dollars for informed medical opinions, lied to get those opinions, and then ignored the results of those opinions. That's how I got here. Unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery. Have you noticed that? Did you ever go tell people your pain level was 10? <laughs> if I can. We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live longer happily in this world. Do you expect to live longer happily in this world? Some of us have to admit, when we first come around and we're pretty tore up, we're not really looking for long. We're hoping for a little happy. Yeah? So it says, rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. So the assumption that you're going to scrutinize who you're going to tell your story to 
It's really not about telling your deep, dark secrets. It's about telling your whole story and them helping you process your testimony because you've got to be able to tell them what you've been redeemed from when somebody asks, why are you different? It's what I agreed to do in three, right? Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness, right? It isn't me bearing witness. It's the fact that I was a person in much difficulty for a significant part of my life, and all of a sudden I wasn't in this much difficulty. And it's noticeable. Any of you? It's like it's the kind of stuff people know about us. It's like, dude, none of that weird shit's happening with you. (laughs) And that's when I'm to give credit to this creator who has straightened out my creation. Because that's just the truth, right? All right. So... Those of us belonging to a religious denomination which requires confession must and of course will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. So AA has never wanted to conflict with your religious practice. If you have a religious practice, keep it. But a caveat, your religious practice shouldn't be done in replacement of your AA practice, nor should your AA practice be done in replacement of your religious practice. Do both, see if they don't enhance one another. Does that make sense? You don't want to hold hands? No, they hold hands. Oh, we all hold hands around here. (laughs) We went into Santa Rita unit one time. We had 150 guys in the day room and Woody, one of the guys, that he was a Jamaican, he decides every one of these guys should hold hands and sing, what, what was the damn song? I don't know. It was, it, was, it, 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 was, it was uncomfortable on a male prison yard. But damned if they didn't do it. Just want to reach out your hand. Something like that. Yeah, it was trippy. Anyway, though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with someone ordained by an established religion. How many of you either working with somebody or you had things that you didn't want to talk about because there may be pending charges? It's very common and not just in our population, in the recovery population as a whole. It's very common. And it doesn't matter if you have pending charges or if it's just something that's really you're afraid to. It's really not about, we've got to get you feeling safe so that you can unburden yourself so we can move past this moment, right? So um, we often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. John jokes with us, but think about how easy it is to find people who do not understand. And let's just bring it home. How many of you have had close friends after your own recovery that really got disappointed in their seeming inability to, and and they do exactly what we do when we're off the rails, and then we want to hold them to a higher standard? Yes? How many of you have fallen short of your own ideals and thought, the hell with me. So you never have to go any further than your nose to realize you don't understand alcoholics either. 
So we're going to have to get into the spirit and understand that we're just here to serve. We're not here to judge. We're just here to serve, right? And get disciplined in that. Because it is incomprehensible what happens to us when we get off the rails. Yes? Okay. So um, if we cannot or would rather not do this, we search our acquaintance for a closed mouth understanding friend. If someone comes up to you and asks you, listen, I heard what you shared in a meeting and I liked what you had to say, would you consider sponsoring me? I want to suggest to you your honor bound in the spirit to give a qualified yes. Because they have selected you as a closed mouth understanding friend, which is a title we should not take lightly because most of us when we first get here are neither closed mouth nor understanding. <laughs> True? And, it, and we grow into that through service. Now, we may find out they want something different in the relationship than we're willing to give, and we may do something different, but there's always a qualified way to say, you honor me with your request. Yes? Okay. So perhaps our doctor or psychologist will be the person. It may be one of our own family, but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or our parents, which will hurt them and make them unhappy. We have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand, yet be unaffected. So understand what, unaffected by what? Understand the unaffected. Do you hear? Yeah, understand that I'm in the search for the truth, and some of the truth about me can be a little gnarly. And if I'm helping you unpack, likelihood is some of the truth about you could be a little gnarly. So if I'm going to judge you as I'm helping you unpack, then I should recuse and you should tell those parts of the story to someone who will be unaffected. Does that make sense? That's not a, that's not a disgrace. I've got to be honest. If I'm holding certain beliefs that will not allow me to be effective, I'm, I'm there after my spiritual experience. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message. I can't carry a message of being awakened spiritually while I'm hating at you. Regardless of what you came to talk to me about. Does it make sense? Yeah. That doesn't make me bad, doesn't make you bad, but I got to be honest with me and recuse if it's something about you that I can't do. So we're starting to get to a place where we're holding ourselves accountable according to the spirit within us. Kind of handy, huh? Because we're not good at following rules as a class, right? <laughs> so if we can't check ourselves, ain't likely there's no human power going to check that shit. They've tried, yeah? In this crowd especially. Okay. So the rule is we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. They don't talk about rules in this book very often. So the rule isn't ever outward. The rule isn't for you. The rule is for me. If I want to grow spiritually, i got to be honest with myself. Okay? So notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may be that one is so situated that there is no suitable person available. Do you think that's true in Phoenix, Arizona today? You get what he's talking about? 
Have you guys ever been in a situation where it wasn't safe to put something on paper? How about if you're never in a jail and you don't feel safe confiding something to somebody? The reality is, if I'm helping you with your story and you can't tell it to me, then i got to be honest enough with you to say, apparently there's something about me that you can't be honest with. And I care enough about you that I'm going to suggest to you that you figure out what that is or you tell somebody else. But do not walk around with that burden because it's just it's not a good outcome. Does it make sense? So it says, it says it, it may be there, there's, that one is so situated there's no suitable person available. If that is so, this step may be postponed. Only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through it at the first opportunity. So I've got to give them the opportunity to show they're ready to go through with it at the first opportunity. Right? We, we don't do for, we do with. If I do everything for you, you're not going to be able to show the next man. So I do it with you so you can show the next man because that's the only way you're going to stay free. Does that make sense? So we say this because we're very anxious that we talk to the right person. It's important that he be able to keep a confidence, that he fully understand and approve what we're driving at, and he will not try and change our plan. So now you're getting a further job description. If you're going to show people, you approve of their search for the truth, and you're endeavoring to help them along the path of that truth. Search, yes? And I'm not going to try and change it if they come up with a different idea than I think is warranted. Any of you sponsored a few people? Any of you heard some disturbing plans? Almost laughable at times. It's like, well, let me know how that turns out. We'll, we'll write you. <laughs> but the reality is, if that's what they're doing, we're not here to tell them what they should do. That's why I had a whole step nine coming, never telling them what they should do. Their faults are not discussed. I stick to my own. I once thought and felt as you do. I doubt I'd made much progress had I not taken action. These are the actions I took is what I experienced as a result. All right. So, so when we decide who is to hear our story, they waste no time. Now they're telling you of their experience. You want to pay attention to that. When you have decided, you'll act. You see that? Sometimes in the third step, we say made a decision. And then nothing happens. Because the only one who knows if you made a decision internally is you. But we all know you made a decision when you start acting in the decision. And sometimes what you say you decided is not how you act. Does it make sense? And then we know what we should do. Take our cues from what we see and what we hear so that we know if we're working with somebody or if we're just doing harm. Okay. So it says we have a written inventory and we're prepared for a long talk. So they're telling you what it looks like. How many of you have had trouble doing the written inventory? Yeah, I've learned over time, oftentimes we've got to sit down with people and help them do the written inventory because they don't have a clue how to do it. And I know some of them are so afraid that if we don't walk through and do it all with them, they just don't, they don't follow through it. It isn't that they don't want to. They don't have enough in them to do it. 
So, and I had a guy do it for me. I had delirium tremens so bad, I shook too bad to write. So the man who did it for me saw how bad I shook, and he wrote down every word I said. Now, I can assure you I wouldn't be here today if that had not happened. So, um, anyway, we explain to our partner what we're about to do and why we have to do it. How many of you, when you're doing an inventory for the first time, were able to explain to your partner what you were about to do and why you had to do it? We can't, because we really don't know. We've never done it before. So they've written this book for us wherever we are in the step process. So very often I'm taking someone through their five while I'm doing my 12. So I'm going to explain to them why I have to do it, not why he has to do it, why I have to do it, and then show him how I do it, and then walk him through it. Does that make sense? Because we're less, why do you think New Freedom set up the way we are? Who picks you up at the prison gate? Someone hasn't been in a, out of an orange suit in very long, right? We send people that come from prison to go to prisons to pick people up. Do you think we're, right? Why do we do that? Because no one that hasn't been in your shoes is qualified to tell you nothing when you first start. You'll listen to some professionals later after there's a bond reached, but in the beginning, don't tell me about homelessness if you haven't slept behind the dumpster. Don't tell me about incarceration if you haven't had the anxiety for a week about getting out and what's that look like and I'll never be able to stay out. And then the gate opens one day and you've been up all night and you wander out. You're going to get in a car with somebody you don't know. Yeah, I'm feeling you guys feel it. And, and that's why it's different. We do the same thing these people do. We got people walking you through it that have credibility because they're walking in it. Okay. Yeah, you can clap for yourself. And I'll guarantee you, you guys, a lot of you guys know Maddie. He ain't telling you anything he hadn't done before you. He did 25 years plus, walked out, got a job, got a car, got another job, bought a house, mentors thousands of men and women in prison to this day, and he never asked him to do a damn thing he won't get off his chair and go do now. And anybody who tells him it's too hard, he explains to him what hard looks like. I'm not trying to be nasty, I'm talking about if, you, if you're whining about how hard it was for you and you haven't done a life sentence, then you should check yourself. Most people approached in this way will be glad to help. They'll be honored by our confidence. Guys, that's the whole point. Sometimes the only honor we find in the servant life is that you got enough belief in me that you'll let me help you walk into your freedom. Because my life certainly didn't look like it was destined to be that. A life of honor. It did not look that way. But it has become that through him. We pocket our pride and go to it. They paint a picture with words, don't they? Yeah. Kind of a metaphor. 
taking pride from here and putting it in your pocket. You know why they say that? How many of you sat down to do a fifth step and you knew that one thing you were definitely not sharing? <laughs> we're going to shade that part just right out. <laughs> Eliminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Why'd they say that? They use the word every twice. Even that one little thing. <laughs> with the goat, with the cute bow. Um. <laughs> Once we have taken this step with holding nothing, we are delighted. Focus on the promise. Once we, the first 100, have taken that step, everything, with holding nothing, they are delighted. Think about that word. How many of you went through a fifth step and felt lighter? How many of you heard other people's fifth steps? How many of you felt that coming when they, when they dumped that thing? How many of you held something back when you were doing a fifth step and they asked you, what are you holding back? <laughs> you know why now, don't you? Because when you hold back, you hold back my hit. The one thing I have always known is when you hold my hit. If you experience delight and we're in the spirit, I'm going to experience it with you. I may experience it for you. If you experience sorrow, I'm going to experience it. I know people that are so dead in their spirit, I've taken them through the steps and I'm crying so they would know how to emote. Because they don't know how. They're looking at me with a smile on their face, telling me the most painful things in any human being's life. I'm crying to carry their burden and they're going... And people don't think this is real. It's absolutely real. So you can't lie to us without our permission, and you don't have our permission. Get on us and give us our hit, man. Let's get going. There's work to do. All right. So he should realize that we're engaged upon a life and death errand. Most people approaching this way will be glad to help. They'll be honored by our confidence. Oh, I, did, oh, I already did all that. Okay. So... Then we got some more promises. Withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Think about that promise, folks. You guys remember things being a little busy? I mean, when you sobered up, it was still really busy. Like, no matter where you were, you were thinking you were late for somewhere else. So they're promising as we start to clear that stuff off, we're going to be able to be alone at perfect peace and ease. We'll start beginning to process normally. Does that make sense? And then it says our fears fall from us. What they tell us drove us. A hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. And we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. And I live in a war zone all the time. And now those fears start to fall off and I'm finding myself in this place of peace. Then it tells us a little something that we become aware of. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. Where they tell us the creator was found. So we now know if we're feeling the nearness, they spoke to us of power, peace, happiness, sense of direction flowing in. How many of you had that experience and no one pointed it out to you when you did a five? They said, oh, you're delighted? Yeah, that's new power, right? Does it make sense? And if you didn't, we'll try and address that too. Some people get through a fifth step 
and they're still in the guilt, shame, and remorse. They haven't processed the admission of powerlessness. And if that's, if you, if that's you, then what we're going to do is go back to the question, do you really think you're powerless or you, you believe and you really chose all this? Because you really are crazy if that's what you chose. I heard your story. So, <laughs> so I says, we may have, have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. Again, we're coming to believe. So I had beliefs and I had doubts, but then I started having tangible experiences. And the man taking me through it said, that, that that you're feeling, that's the power we call God. And when that happens, you start to realize that power responds to request, and that power shows up when I offer myself to another. And then I'm more willing to seek to improve consciousness, my awareness of being aware of that power in and on me, because I know it's real. Yes? So the feeling that the drink problem had disappeared will often come strongly. How many of you got a fifth step done and go, and then just stopped. How many of you got to go get a new chip? <laughs> it happens. Right? Because I get unburdened, but I didn't fully complete my house cleaning. I didn't convert my musty past to ease the suffering for others. We feel we're on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. That's a weird phrase, isn't it? You got a picture of that? Walking hand in hand. How many of you can relate if you don't, you know, get into the whole walking hand in hand thing? How many of you can relate being on a tightrope? Okay, so this is feeling a little bit like you have permission to be authentic now. Does it make sense? Returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour. That's pretty specific, isn't it? Carefully reviewing what we've done. What have we done? I've done an inventory. I've discussed it with somebody. I perhaps got some clarity. I probably copped to that one thing I wasn't going to cop to. Once he called to my attention, I was holding his hit. Yeah, I realized that the only one in the room who didn't know, including the spirit in me, was me. There's no secrets in the realm of the spirit, so you ain't hiding anything from the spirit in you. And the person sitting with you knows you're holding something back. So the only one that's blocking you from getting to who you want to be is you. And it's not even you, it's the thoughts of how I'll think about you. And dude, if it has a name, you didn't invent it. Whatever you think you did that's unforgivable, if it has a name, you didn't invent it. There ain't nothing new under the sun, is what we're trying to tell you. So we thank God from the, bo from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. For many of us who come here atheist or agnostic or that way inclined, that's the first honest prayer we ever say. Because I now know that this power they speak of is a sensory experience. And he not only brought me to this moment, but he's operating in and on me. Yes? So I can thank him because I know I walked around a dead man for a while. Any of you relate to me? I was a dead man walking. And then one day I was not. 
And I was going in really foreign directions for a guy like me. So taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. Carefully reviewing the first five proposals, we ask if we've omitted anything, for we're building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? Let's go back to the first five proposals. Thank you. This is my first time and Sean helps me. Um, so step one, the first proposal, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol dash. Powerless when? Yeah, I want people, because we may not think so, but, and I've even heard people, you know, I make a choice to go get drunk. I made a choice. You ever heard that? If I have an alcoholic condition, then there is no choice, because there's no sound mind. That's why they call it the insanity of the first drink. We tell ourselves it's a choice to comfort us from our complete lack of control. If you don't believe me, get on the building, jump off. Halfway down, say, I choose to hit the ground. <laughs> you did not affect the outcome, but perhaps it will comfort you. <laughs> that our lives had become unmanageable. They made us cop to that in one, but they didn't really delve into what that unmanageability looked like until two, right? Shall we look at that, or do we know that? We're going back? Okay, so let's go to page 52. No? Yep, middle of the page. We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems. So this is my unmanageability as a human, not as an alcoholic. They're made more complex because of my alcoholic condition. But I got a human condition that's very complex. At least I have a mind that makes it so. It says, apply to our human problem the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. Is that true for you? <laughs> we couldn't control our emotional natures. Is that true for you? Any of you ever realized that after you sobered up? We were prey to misery and depression. Any of you noticed that after you sobered up? Some of us, because we're hungry to go get some relief, we'll go seek drugs while we're normalizing. And what we really, if the doctor was really our friend, they wouldn't give us drugs till we normalized because, quite frankly, that's your natural alcoholic condition to be prey to misery and depression, to not be able to control your emotional nature. That's why you need to improve the power of the spirit in you so that you're not as affected by the world. Does that make sense? And the problem with a lot of drugs, I'm not saying they don't have an applicability, but if we don't get the right ones and the right dosages, you're just blocking off the consciousness you're seeking. So we don't tell people this stuff, but this is that unmanageability. And a lot of people try and medicate unmanageability, and that's no different than what I was trying to do in my active addiction, medicate unmanageability. Um, said so we had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy and couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. So that is the unmanageability I'm copying to. Are we still with them? Okay. So then based on that, 
step two says we came to believe that power, why do we say power there? Because they're going to introduce me to power, not a theology. And I'm going to come to believe in that power based on my experience, or I'm not a good witness. I'm witnessing to you in the Spirit, of the Spirit, in me. You're not hearing from me, you're hearing from the Spirit, to you. Does that make sense? That's why you can feel it. You're not feeling me, you're feeling the Spirit in you. And you're experiencing revelation, or inspiration, or maybe anger if you find what I'm saying offensive. That's happened before too. Um, greater than ourselves, which could restore us to sanity. So I'm hoping for a restoration to sanity. And then it said, based on that, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood them. And they're very careful to tell you how they understood this power, and it is not a God of their understanding, which we've heard people teach, it's as they understood them. Power, peace, happiness, sense of direction flowing in, cool wind of a mountaintop blowing through and through. If you don't know the tangible presence we're talking about, you're getting cheated out of your recovery. You just are. I don't remain abstinent in 12-step recovery. I don't live well abstinent. I live on power, peace, happiness, and a sense of direction. I switched my dealer. I buy my dope from the infinite. You never run out, man. It is like the dream of every addict. All I got to do is serve and I get more. So, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And then we've admitted to God. To ourselves and another human being the exact nature of our wrong. Yeah? So we're all good with those first five proposals? Well, that's good, because we're going to run out of time if we weren't. If I had to go back, we would. So we're on page 76 now. If we can answer to our satisfaction, now look, to whose satisfaction? Each of you individually. This book was not written for me to read to find out how you should behave. This book was written for me to see how, if I will try and behave, it won't matter to me how, so much how y'all behave. And until I get free of the way people talk and act, and even my own limited thinking, then I'm still in bondage to the gentleman's point in the back. Matter of fact, we used to tell them on the inside, if we can't free you in there, you'll never live free out here. And that's why we try and send inspiration in, right? All right, so if we can answer to our satisfaction, we then look at step six. We've emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Do we get that? That's an important stone in our foundation, this little stone of willingness, yes? Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things that we've admitted are objectionable? So the instruction for step six and seven, really, seven's a prayer, but I have to know the intent. So the instruction's right there in that sentence, did you catch it? A little word called let which implies I have a part to play. Yes? God's going to take it 
But I've got to let him have it, and I'm not any good at that because I always think I've got a better idea. So what I'm going to have to do is distract myself by my constant thought of others and how to meet their needs. And when I do that, I'll be infused with the power to carry that out, and I'll get my healing that I need because I'm following instructions. Does that make sense? Okay. So... It says, can he now take them all, every one? Now they want us to get a little contemplative. What's the first step in recovery? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people still think it's the one on the wall. So those of you that come to this, you know there's a, there's a step that we write on the wall, the instruction, and then there's a step that's actually the experience, and it's written on page 30. And they say, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves. This is the first step in recovery. The reason why I have to get honest with me is no one can fully concede to their innermost self based on a lie. Does that make sense? So you ain't going nowhere from one until you get honest with you. And then you can do whatever. Whatever seems indicated. But if I want to grow and I'm here, then I need to get clean with me. Yeah? So can he now take them all, every one? How many of you had a list and you're like, eh, he can have some of that shit, but I kind of like that. <laughs> what, I, what I will tell you is new and recover, we don't always know what our defects of character are. People tell you we do, but we don't. We don't know what our old ideas are. I don't know what my old ideas are until I see them reflected in how you speak or act. And then when I find myself judging you that I was sent to serve, I realize, oh, there's an old idea. And I've got to confront the idea in me in order to serve, or I've got to recuse. Does it make sense? So I've got a part to play in all of that to actively discipline my thoughts as I move forward. It's not about me telling you what to do. It's never, I'm never to tell you what you should do. Your faults are not discussed. I stick to my own. Make sense? Okay. So then can he now take them all, every one? So if we're honest, we can prioritize at this point because I'm not ready to let go of everything right now. I'm not ready to take the actions indicated because the action indicated is to put them on a list and then make approaches for amends. And there's some people I don't want to approach. True? So I'm going to have to pray. There's some I will approach and there's some I won't approach right now. And they wrote the book suggestively to the wife, to the employer, to the family. So get a circle of support around us, whoever that is. Start with them and work your way out. Does it make sense? All right. So if we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. So now they've told you the secret to the whole thing. Willingness is divine power. My admission of powerlessness didn't go away. What happened to me is when I agreed to serve, I gained access to power greater than me. And I get more than I need, particularly when I offer it to others. Does that make sense? So anytime you're seeing people and their actions are disturbing, please don't tell them I won't work with you because you're not willing. They don't know where willingness comes from. Willingness comes from someone showing them kindness for the first time in a long time and them just wanting not to disappoint you. And all of a sudden they summon enough power to act better than they want to and all of a sudden they're on their way. Does that make sense? So it says, when ready, we say something like this. 
My creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Amen. One more thing I want to call to your attention. That's the completion of what I started in three, which is why there's not an amen at the end of three, because I didn't have the facts yet. Now I've been through the process and I've got the facts. I know what it looks like. And so I need an agreement. The amen means I'm in agreement with the decision I made and the power that I encountered that it facilitated. Does that make sense? Yes. Amen. That's good. That was <laughs> That's it. See you next week. <laughs>